Blue Chip, Hanover, Fortex, Equity Corp, Ross Asset Management. David Ross effectively sentenced hundreds of people to great financial loss and great suffering. I could only say that I understand their grief. Um, I've read all the victims' statements and I can understand that many of them have suffered blows beyond those suffered as a result of losing their money to Mr Ross, for example, those victims who also suffered losses in the Christchurch earthquake. I can understand that nothing that we can do will replace their money just because Mr Ross pleads guilty and goes to jail. Um, but we do hope that it will bring some comfort to them that justice has been done. Famous finance company collapses pursued by the serious fraud office. Right now, it's in the headlines for this. Name suppression listed showing that Jamie Lee Roth is one of four defendants facing serious fraud office charges over two donations to the National Party of $100,000. He and three Chinese businessmen are embroiled in this case. And this. The same way, of course, people have been calling for Winston Peters to step down because of questions about New Zealand First Foundation. Yes, and this isn't the first time that the Serious Fraud Office has turned its spotlight on his party. But is it chasing the wrong cases? There's some people that argue, well, the more sophisticated fraudsters are getting away with it. It's only the idiots who leave a paper trail or their accomplices dob them in are the types of people that they go for. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today, the detail looks at the powerful, secretive agency that employs ex-cops and lawyers to investigate multi-multi-million dollar fraud. Their work is necessarily quite secretive. Maria Slade is with National Business Review. She's one of many financial journalists who've dug into SFO stories over the years. Sometimes the organisations themselves don't really know. I remember interviewing the head of Fuji Xerox, uh, who are supposedly under investigation by the SFO, and I said, where is it at? And he said, well, I wouldn't know. They don't tell me. So, yeah, that's just the nature of their work. Uh, it's, it's very much under wraps. They are a government agency, so they are actually quite transparent. I mean, their annual reports are pretty fulsome if you go through them. They uh, outline all the facts and figures of how many prosecutions they've taken and who they've investigated. And they do make announcements on quite a regular basis, but obviously it's on their terms. So if they don't want the general public to know uh, that they're onto something, then obviously they won't tell them. What triggers an investigation? Well, the SFO was was set up to investigate uh, complex or serious fraud is the catch cry. And so that's usually when it's complex, obviously, when there's big numbers involved or large numbers of people affected um, or if it's in the public interest. And they do have memorandums of understanding with other agencies like police, um, the Financial Markets Authority, Customs, IRD, even Victim Support. So they do work with other agencies, and an example of that is the CBL insurance collapse case. They worked with the Reserve Bank on that. The listed parent company was worth almost $750 million when it collapsed in 2018, following the forced liquidation of the insurance business by the Reserve Bank. It was New Zealand's biggest corporate collapse. fell wiping out $747 million worth of shareholder value. Uh, The SFO announced it was investigating in June 2018, um, laid charges in December 2019. So it's been a really ongoing, long, long saga. Uh, But basically the regulators were very concerned about this uh, financial institution's solvency. 
they, they were insolvent. And, you know, it's been said that the, the size and circumstances of this collapse threat, basically threatens the development of fair and transparent financial markets in this country. So it was a very significant case, and it's still ongoing. Um, the directors are, are currently being prosecuted. The former chief executive of the clapped CBL Insurance Group has pleaded not guilty to criminal charges brought by the Serious Fraud Office. Peter Harris. The Serious Fraud Office alleges he intentionally breached Reserve Bank orders by allowing $20 million to be paid to overseas companies and knowingly deceiving regulators. So there's an example where they worked with another agency. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting that the donations one has fallen into their sphere. There's a, there's a public interest factor there for sure, but could you argue, argue it's complex and serious fraud? I'm, I'm not too sure. And the other, example, the other point in that is that the SFO actually have amazing powers, uh, but they can only invoke them in cases of serious and complex fraud. They, they can basically force you to give evidence against yourself. So, in the, you know, it could be argued in this situation with the National Party donations uh, case, would it fall into that category? Would they be able to use their special powers? We don't know yet. There's not large sums involved. It's only 100 grand. Mm, yeah. What we know so far about the case, just from the court documents... There's a paper trail there which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, didn't look like it was all that hard to track down. So it's an interesting one that, that yeah. it's fallen into the SFO's territory. I think the thing here is there, there's a big public interest factor because, you know, have we got business people who are allegedly linked to the Chinese state funnelling money into the New Zealand National Party? If that's the case, that's an issue of huge public interest and, and, and it is the sort of thing the SFO probably should be getting down on. You know, this is the integrity of our political system and um, the authorities may be wanting to make an example of this case. But serious and complex fraud, yeah, don't know. And, and when you say that the SFO has extraordinary powers, what do you mean by that? They can basically force you to give evidence against yourself. You can incriminate yourself. You know, they have very strong powers to make people talk. Uh, but it has to be in the right circumstances, and I don't think they use those powers all that often. You know, they, they don't use them willy-nilly. <laughs> there have been other examples where... Quite controversially, they have said that they wouldn't pursue charges. I think quite recently with the investigation of the Waikato DHB chief executive. There's been an outcry over the decision to not prosecute former Waikato DHB head Nigel Murray. Dr Murray resigned in 2017 shortly before an investigation found he spent more than 120 grand on unjustified travel and accommodation. Now some of the money has been refunded but the Serious Fraud Office decided yesterday it was shutting down its probe as a criminal case against Dr Murray would be too costly. That's always the big criticism about the SFO that they pick winners, that, that they go for the low-hanging fruit. And certainly in the last couple of years, they've claimed a 100% success rate. Have they? Yes, they have. A 100% conviction rate of the prosecutions that they have brought. And a lot of those are guilty pleas too. So it's clear they are going for cases that they believe they can win. If you look at through the list of things they've prosecuted, it's things like mortgage fraudsters and, you know, dodgy sole practice financial advisors and provincial centres, um, your Maori trusts, charities where there's been some money embezzled, the artificial taking a backhander.
The cases often inspire a flurry of salacious headlines. Take the con man Stephen Gerard Veselko, the ASB investment advisor running a multi-million dollar Ponzi scheme. He was using the money to fund a lavish lifestyle of fine wine, luxury cars and prostitutes. So it does seem to be small beer-ish. You know, we're talking maybe a million dollars here or there, which, you know, is still a million dollars, but... There's some people that argue, well, the more sophisticated fraudsters are getting away with it. It's only the idiots who leave a paper trail or their accomplices dob them in are the types of people that they go for. And, you know, one of the things about that is, of course, A, people getting away with it, but B, that they're not really testing the law. Um, You know, it's not black and white sometimes in these cases. And so if you're not taking the complex cases, then you're not testing how far the law can go. Why aren't they taking the complex cases? Lack of funding? uh, Their budget's been pretty stable, Uh, so I don't know that it's that. Maybe it's a case of they they feel they need to to go for the ones they think they can win. Mm. I mean, they do do some big ones too, like obviously there was Ross Asset Management, Mm. the, the Ponzi scheme. Are you a parasite? David Ross swindled the elderly widows and people saving for retirement. Today, after six years in Rimataka prison, he was released, granted parole four years before the end of his sentence. They did quite good work on the finance companies. There was um, criminal prosecutions in relation to nine of them. But then they didn't prosecute Hanover. No, what happened with that case? That was a long, drawn-out one. They felt that they just couldn't stack it up. But, you know, some of the stuff that we were writing about at the time just makes you wonder. Yeah. Tell, tell me about Hanover. Yeah, high-profile figures, Eric Watson and, and Mark Hotchin and Hanover Finance. Hanover was investigated by the Serious Fraud Office and the Financial Markets Authority after it collapsed five years ago, owing 13,500 investors more than half a billion dollars. It was one of the, the myriad finance companies that collapsed. That was basically New Zealand. Yeah, there was a series. They kind of went like dominoes over mm-hmm. a, a period of two or three years. And that was New Zealand's subprime sector, basically. And there was one transaction over a thing called the Kinlock Golf Club that I covered. And it was a transaction that made no commercial sense. And it was happening just at the time when, when Hanover was teetering on the edge. Hanover had the first mortgage over it, and they took it to mortgagee sale. And then, inexplicably, they lent his second mortgagee to the buyer, who was this mysterious trust that no-one ever could work out who the beneficiaries were. And then later they uh, did the famous loan book for shares swap with Allied Farmers. So this dodgy loan became Allied's problem, and then eventually, of course, the whole thing fell over. This all happened also around the time the SFO had investigated. So the, the inference is there that the Hanover directors were shuffling funds around to suit themselves. I see. And so you say to yourself, well, if reporters were writing about that, if the SFO could say that, then why was it not possible to investigate further and uh, bring a prosecution? And did you ever get to the bottom of it? No, because they did not investigate further, so that was the end of that. They said they just couldn't meet the standard of proof, Mm -hmm. because these are criminal prosecutions, so it's quite a high standard of proof, and uh, they just felt that it wasn't there, they couldn't do it. In the end, does that mean that the directors of Hanover Finance walk away? There were other actions, like the FMA was pursuing action as well. Uh, So it's not like the SFO is the only one going after some of these people. There are other agencies that are interested in them for other reasons. 
Blue Chip's quite a good example, actually. I don't know if you recall yeah. the extremely high-profile property investment scheme, Blue Chip, led by Mark Briars, that collapsed a few years ago, leaving a lot of people, you know, a lot of poor mum and dad investors, seriously out of pocket. Up to 3,000 investors were affected when 22 Blue Chip companies were put into liquidation in 2008. Briars was made bankrupt, but still lives in this luxury Sydney apartment at The Rocks. SFO decided not to uh, prosecute there as well because it was just such a complex web. I can kind of see why they never did. And in the end, Mark Briars got done for bookkeeping charges. So he kind of got caught in the end, but not for some of the stuff that you might think he'd get caught for sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So there's all these agencies that kind of circle in these situations, um, and it's just not always possible to bring the, the real high-profile kind of fraud uh, prosecutions against them. Who are the people who actually work for the serious fraud office? It's a mixture of ex-cops, quite a few ex-cops, um, Forensic accountants, lawyers obviously, um, the current director and chief executive, Julie Reid, she's a lawyer. The GM of Evaluation and Intelligence, Graham Hill, he's a former cop. But kind of the way it goes is it's, it's the ex-cop types that are doing the investigations and then you've got the forensic accountants who'll go over it all and then you've got the lawyers who'll work up the case and see if uh, they can make it stack up. They have a budget of about $10 million, which doesn't sound like a lot of money actually <laughs> considering what, what they have to do. I looked on their website and their vision is a productive and prosperous New Zealand safe from fin financial crime bribery and corruption. Yeah, I notice they're actually doing quite a bit of work at the moment on uh, corruption prevention because New Zealand obviously has a sterling reputation inter internationally for being one of the least corrupt places on the planet. Uh, but we've only got one way to go from there, and that's down. And the world is becoming an increasingly complex place, and a, a lot of uh, wrongdoing crosses borders a lot more easily than it used to with technology. So they are doing a lot of work in the prevention space, which is a good idea. I think one of the problems New Zealand's got is we've got a lot of agencies doing a lot of different things. And, like, I've just written a column about the fact that we have no central scam-busting agency. You've got uh, the likes of the Commission for Financial Capability that does a bit of education. You've got NetSafe that's out there sort of looking out for people in that regard. You've got the Ministry of Internal Affairs. You've got MB. You've got FMA. You've got SFO. You've got all these different agencies, and no one is responsible for scams. And NetSafe and the CFC have been quite outspoken in their calls for some sort of agency that would triage the, these complaints and uh, send them to the appropriate agencies and also be on scam watch because anything internationally that's happening, you can guarantee it's going to get to New Zealand at some point. So we need to be on alert uh, for these scams coming our way and at the moment we don't have a system that's set up for that. So the SFO with their $10 million is over there doing their little thing and they do have as I say, memorandums of understanding with other agencies. And they now come under the police minister, I think it is, so that you know, there is efforts to sort of coordinate them better. That, that's a really big ongoing challenge. Are there holes in the whole investigative space in terms of scams and, I guess, white-collar crime? 
Well, that's a little bit more straightforward, particularly if it's domestic. But when you get into the more international kinds of activities, for example, the one that I just wrote about, a thing called OneCoin, it was a cryptocurrency scam, but it came originally from Bulgaria and it traversed the world. Samoans are being warned about a global multi-billion dollar cryptocurrency which has compromised the country's financial system. This week, Samoa's central bank said one coin had been invested in by churches and individuals in Samoa despite a ban in place. So there were agencies here that said, well, it's not a New Zealand domiciled thing, so there's nothing much we can do about it. Yes, I heard about that. In fact, there's a whole podcast on it. Yes, there is. The Crypto Queen. That's right. So that hit New Zealand. Yes, that it came did. To New Zealand. Yes. And so what, if you are a victim of that, it's a bit like too bad? Pretty much. Alex Sims, an associate professor at the University of Auckland, says regulators around the world have failed to take action against OneCoin. Why was nothing done when people have known this was clearly a Ponzi scheme for a couple of years? The Department of Internal Affairs, I know, is investigating that there was a couple of South Auckland churches that were hit by it, and they're investigating them under the Charities Act. Mm -hmm. But that's not the same thing as addressing a cryptocurrency fraud. But that's just one of many. I mean, that was a very high-profile one, but there are a dime a dozen. So it's going to be an ongoing problem that we face as the world gets increasingly sophisticated. Certainly they have had their disasters. Uh, There was the Auckland Rescue Helicopter Trust case a few years back where the trustees were eventually acquitted of misdirecting pokey funds in 2005. And that was after a lengthy, high-profile case that basically brought the charity to its knees and, in the end, no prosecution. The Zespri investigation was another high-profile one that went pretty badly. So four years they investigated Zespri over alleged um, double invoicing um, to help people in tax evasion uh, sort of situations. That ended in 2017 with no charges. Gosh, that was several years. Cost Zespri $7 million to defend. Victoria Young works for Business Desk. As a court reporter, she frequently crosses paths with the SFO and the lawyers that work for it. In the way that shows you the strength of the people that help defend these cases and what the SFO is up against. But that was a very long probe and the SFO didn't even end up interviewing some of the key people who you thought they would have interviewed, even though, you know, one of its special powers as the SFO is to compel people to interview. That's a power that it has that the police don't have. Uh, yet, yet that probe ended up being dropped. So and Any explanation? No. No, so that makes it very difficult for us to see what's going on there. And obviously there's a reason why, you know, they can't tell us everything, but it becomes more difficult. And then when you see issues with the budget, you wonder whether, um, you know, it's just getting too hard. So do you get a sense of how many cases they don't pursue? I get a better sense of the types of cases that they'll pursue, often against individuals who are probably... I would say less sophisticated mortgage fraud or people with their hands in the till, so to speak, as opposed to, you know, they've got some very big, well, the Fuji Xerox one, which is they're still sitting on. They've got the CBL insurance one, which will be, you know, really big and, and really complicated. But I think what will become clearer is when the private market and private prosecutions start increasing. 
And now because there's an increase in litigation funding in the market, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing where the NSFO has dropped a probe and then a private, either private prosecution or private civil suit comes into play. That's where we're going to see, oh, maybe the SFO has missed things here or isn't doing what you know we perceive as justice. Is there a case that you're thinking of in particular? Yeah, there's one. Um, I haven't been closely involved with it, but um, Inturi, which was a listed company that... Education? Yeah, Inturi, yeah, Inturi Education. Mm-hmm. That's going to a class action now. CBL's obviously got a class action in the civil space. There's also a private prosecution that Vector's taking that was subject to a SFO probe. There's a lot of name suppression around that one, so it's hard to talk about. But those are the sorts of areas where, you know, people might see the private market coming in and doing justice where we would expect a government agency to be doing justice. Is that a bad thing? I think so, actually. I think we expect our regulators and those sorts of agencies to be doing to be doing that job for us. And not to mention these litigation funders that will prop up private prosecutions they'll take a 30% cut. So where are the victims going to be compensated? How is that going to address perceived injustice? That's The Detail today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across The Detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Maria Slade and Victoria Young. Kakite anō.